Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey friends, welcome back to The Savior Set. We are on episode 46. This is the assignment for November 25th through December 1st. First and second, Peter, rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And I apologize for my voice. Y'all know <laughs> I've just been plagued with all kinds of crud lately. Um, it's the first year at a new school and you get hit by all kinds of germs. So dealing with some laryngitis, but we're going to get through it. I have a really awesome interview that we're going to have in this episode. And so that's going to take up probably the bulk of the episode, so you won't have to listen to me squeak over here. But um, we got some really good stuff to talk about. But before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about something cool that I've got coming up. Um, so the Savior said, when I first started out with this podcast, I was like, I will be really happy if someone more than like my mom listens to it. Like I thought it was really going to be kind of like, I don't know, maybe 20 people across the world downloading it. But it has blown up and become so much bigger than I ever could have possibly dreamed. And that's thanks to you guys and thanks to you guys sharing it with your friends and your family. And so to kind of celebrate that and celebrate all the work that you guys are doing to make it an awesome podcast... I want to do a giveaway, and I love that we're kind of getting into this kind of close to the Christmas season. We are currently at 42,812 downloads for the Save Your Said podcast. When we get to 50,000 downloads, I'm going to give away an art print from Art by Geek Girl. She's one of my listeners, and she does these amazing paintings over hymns. So it's like LDS hymns, and then it's got like this gorgeous like watercolor painting on top of it. I have a really cool one that she did hanging in my kitchen, and it's the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and it has Hogwarts painted on top of it. So I was like my two loves, Jesus Christ and Harry Potter, you know, and combining the two. So she does some really amazing stuff. Art by Geek Girl. Definitely go check her out. Her blog is at artbygeekgirl.com. So definitely check out her art. They make great Christmas presents and stuff, but we're also going to do a giveaway when we reach 50,000 downloads. So keep downloading, keep telling your friends to download and spread the love that is the Savior said. All right, so jumping on into our lesson this week, we are talking about First and Second Peter. Okay, so first some backgrounds on these epistles from Peter. So from the New Testament Seminary Teacher Manual, it says, when and where was this written? And it says, Peter likely wrote his first epistle between A.D. 62 and 64. He wrote from Babylon, that's in quotations, and then we see that in 1 Peter 5.13, and that says it was probably a symbolic reference to Rome. And it's generally accepted that Peter died during the reign of Roman Emperor Nero, likely right around 64 AD when Nero began to persecute Christians. That's when the persecution really heated up. So when Peter is writing this epistle, he's writing it to Christians that he knows he's not going to be around to save, and he knows he's not going to be around to guide and protect during the horrible persecution that's upcoming. And so he's like, what can I tell them that will help them get through the trials that are coming up in their lives? And what can I tell them that will help strengthen their faith in Christ so that they can face these awful things that are coming towards them. And so that's kind of what we're getting in 1 Peter. 
The New Testament seminary teacher Manuel goes on to say, to whom was it written and why? Peter addressed this epistle to church members living in the five Roman provinces of Asia Minor, located in modern-day Turkey. Peter considered his readers to be the elect of God. He wrote to strengthen and encourage the saints in the trial of their faith and to prepare them for their future fiery trial, just like we said. Peter's message also taught them how to respond to persecution. Peter's counsel was very timely because church members were about to enter a period of heightened persecution. Until approximately 64 AD, about the time when Peter wrote this epistle, the Roman government generally tolerated Christianity. It wasn't that big of a deal. But in July of that year, a fire destroyed much of Rome and it was rumored that the Emperor Nero himself had ordered the fire to be started. In an effort to divert blame for the disaster, some prominent Romans accused Christians of starting the fire. This led to intense persecution of Christians throughout the Roman Empire. Peter indicated that when the saints suffer as a Christian, they can feel joy knowing that they are following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. So, it just kind of sums up, you know, what I was saying. There's big persecution coming their way. Peter knows this. He also knows he's going to be martyred soon. So this is kind of him like bolstering up the saints to get ready for the fire trial that they're about to go to. What are some distinctive features of this book from the New Testament Seminary Manual? In the midst of the affliction and persecution faced by the saints of his time, Peter exhorted them to turn to one another in love and tenderness. Furthermore, we read in 1 Peter 5 that Peter explained how church leaders should strengthen their congregations. This epistle contains perhaps the clearest biblical references to the spirit world and the work of salvation that takes place there. We're going to talk about that in this episode. Peter briefly mentioned that Jesus Christ visited the spirit world to preach to disobedient spirits who had lived in Noah's day. He added that the gospel was preached to the dead to give deceased individuals the opportunity to be judged on equal terms with the living. In our dispensation, President Joseph F. Smith was pondering the meaning of 1 Peter 3, 18-20 and 1 Peter 4, 6 when he received a revelation clarifying doctrines regarding the spirit world. We're going to talk about that too. So that's kind of where 1 Peter's coming from. 2 Peter is a little bit different. New Testament seminary teacher Manuel says, Unlike the first epistle of Peter, which helped the saints deal with external persecution, Peter's second epistle addressed the internal apostasy that threatened the future of the church. False prophets and teachers were spreading heresies and denying the Lord that bought them. 2 Peter 2.1. Peter wrote the letter to encourage the saints to grow in their knowledge of the Lord and to make their calling and election sure. So 1 Peter talks all about the external persecutions and you know how the church is going to be attacked from the outside. 2 Peter kind of addresses how the church is attacked from the inside and from inside all of us, our own personal apostasies that we might see. So that, those are kind of some of the themes that are going to be addressed and kind of why Peter wrote some of this. The first section in Come Follow Me is I can find joy during times of trial and suffering. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're talking about trials again. Like, I'm so sick of talking about my trials. I'm sure you guys are so sick of hearing about my trials. Um, and so I actually went and I found somebody else to talk about their trials instead and how they can find joy during their trials. And this is my friend Haley. And Haley is really awesome. And I knew that she had gone through some stuff. I honestly didn't know Haley that well before I did this. I grew up with Haley's husband, and so I knew Haley's husband and his family, and then he married Haley, and you know they moved into our ward for a little while, and so I knew her a little bit, and I knew she listened to the podcast, and she was like, yeah, I love to support the podcast. Anytime you need anything, let me know, and I was like, so I got to this section, and she was the first person who came to my mind, and so I was like, I really need to interview her for this section, and I'm so glad I did. When you guys hear this interview, she has some really great experiences and some really great perspective on some stuff that I 
had never even thought about before. So here she is. Here's Haley. All right, guys, I am so excited to welcome Haley Hearn to the Savior Said. Haley, welcome to the Savior Said. Thank you, Lexi. So Haley is going to be talking today about some of the trials she's faced, especially because we see in 1 Peter, he is getting the Christians ready because, you know, the epistle comes out like 62, 63, right before the great Christian persecution. And so he's really getting the Christians ready to like boister their spirits, to get them ready to go through these trials. And he's giving them advice on how to go through trials. So he comes right out there and he's just laying it all on the line. I know that you've had some trials in your life. Do you want to tell us about some of the stuff that you've been through? I feel like I've had a lot of little trials. Um, I feel like growing up, I had a lot bigger trials than I realized until I became an adult and I was able to look back on them and view them with adult eyes and see how really big that they were. And um, as an adult, I've experienced the trial of sin, the trial of temptations, the trial of going through a very big repentance process. I've suffered through infertility with my husband, job changes and and things just unexpected and just having to live by faith. Like, seems like every six months we were having to live by faith for, for job changes and, and things like that. Infertility is probably the one that, unfortunately, I define myself by more just because I'm probably the most vocal about it. And it's and it's something that I try to encourage other people to be vocal about as well, uh, just so that we can gain support. So we're not struggling in silence. Exactly. And I think that's exactly what Peter is doing there is he's like rallying the Christians together, you know, share your trials, share this burden one with another. Mm-hmm. And if we truly are keeping our baptismal covenants, then we are sharing one another's burdens. Right. So that's why we share our trials with each other. Yes, you know? absolutely. And there's no such thing as a small trial either. I think everybody's trials to them are totally significant. Have you ever been like nervous about talking about trials or anything like that? Yes. So I'm always nervous to talk about my trials because I feel like I've been blessed with so much good in my life and I never want to compare my trials with others who experience in my mind so much more. Well, and also on that same vein, um, even something that is small to anyone, just the way that you react to it or something tiny can can be absolutely ginormous, uh, just depending on how you're, what emotional state that you're in or what other things that you've been going through recently or whatever it may be, even as something that, some, something that could just be like a little road bump for, for other people could just be a mountain for the, the right person. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so Haley, what gives you hope that you can find joy even in the midst of your most difficult circumstances? So I think that because we can we can find joy in the Savior, that is obviously the simple answer is we can find joy in the Savior and the atonement and um, eternal families and things like that. It's a different kind of joy, though, than a lot of people think about. Um, so joy in Christ, to me, is not a showy joy. It is peace. It is contentment. It is the knowledge that he's taken upon himself our trials and temptations so that we can be free of them, which is the greatest joy. And it is the knowledge that even if it's not okay right now, that one day it will be finished. He's already finished it. We just have to wait. Sometimes that can be the absolute worst part of a trial is just having to wait and hold on until it's over. Unfortunately, sometimes that is not in this life and that's the worst. You know that saying that they say, you were only given as much as you can handle? That kind of drives me mad when people say that. I heard someone tell me that you aren't given as much as you can handle, but we are given things that we can't handle on our own. 
that we can only handle with the Savior. Uh, I think sometimes, unfortunately, we can hold on to things because we let it define us. We don't know who we are without this defining factor. Oh, I'm the person that had infertility. I'm this. I'm that. I'm the, the mother that lost a child. I'm the person that has this illness or whatever it may be. We are not what happens to us. We are children of God first. I think that that relationship is what we need to make sure we're putting first in who we are. I think a lot of it has to do with how we're responding to our trials. We can either be better or we can be bitter. It's all up to us. It's our choice. When I was a a child, I was about five or six years old and uh, me and my family had gone up to Michigan. We always would go up there for camping trips with our friends. They had a cabin and it was a lot of fun. And my this year we had gone and done a giant road trip. We had gone to Oklahoma to see family and we had done all these fun things in St. Louis and then went up to Michigan. And on our way back home, our car spun out of control. We hit another another car and we rolled down a hill. My Both my parents and four of us kids and my mother did not have her seatbelt on. She was passing snacks back and forth, you know, from the front to the back to kids. And that's how it works a lot of times. And we were all very young and we all were okay. We all ended up okay. Um, my, we were all bruised up and we were on the side of the road stranded. Um, no one would rent us a, a car to get back home from Michigan because we couldn't take it out of state. And so at the time, back in like the 90s, they just wouldn't let you do that. So we were sitting there in the grass, picking out glass out of our stuff. You know, all of our clothes were strewn along the, the interstate. And one of the children, my mom always tells this story. She said that one of us said, Mommy, I really liked our vacation, but I liked it most after we crashed our car. Oh, why is that? She said. And because we were just all bruised up. She was sad. She was upset. She thought that we were, we were going to, they were going to say something different. And the child said, because now we know how much we love each other. And that's a choice. Sometimes it has to come from a child. But she said that she will never forget that. She felt so down and upset. And of course, she was as an adult, she had to to take on the responsibility of getting us home safely after that. But just the opportunity to see the positive in that situation that we had each other and we knew exactly how much each other meant to us was such a blessing. And just to be able to recognize it in that moment means a lot. And I think that that is, is one of the trials that we face. The biggest obstacles that we can face in a trial is to just try to find what is the point of this? Like, why are we going through this? We find that through the Savior. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the ways that God works in our lives is he takes that moment and he adds something like the voice of a child or whatever that totally changes our perspective. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we see things with new eyes. And that is one of his biggest blessings, I think, is, you know, when we are going through a trial, like, oh my gosh, okay, so this is something I can totally look at differently. And what a blessing it was, you know, to your family to have that moment to change that perspective. I love that. Thank you. Okay, so what are some of the other trials, especially ones that you can relate to what Peter was kind of talking about this week? So I've never really felt that I've been persecuted for being a member of the church as an adult. I mean, people will have comments and that's fine, or questions, and I don't ever mind answering, but never to the extent that like Peter was. But I have had experiences where I felt like an outsider because of my beliefs, um, especially in my own household. Like all of my siblings are have left the church. We, we grew up in the church and both my parents were 
were converts and my mother is the only one left. I do have my husband's family that are all active, but when we go home for Thanksgiving, it's just me and my husband and my mother. My parents are divorced, so it's not always exactly how you want it to be. But um, just being around those siblings and parents that have been hurt by the church can just be very isolating. I've known that life without the light of the gospel of, of Christ and I find joy in who I am when I follow Christ. I am able to find pride in standing up for him when others don't. It makes me stronger when I have to stand firm in my testimony and I can't rely on others. I can't lean on others. In our in the same way, when our faith is tried and we are able to rise to the occasion, we find out how much we love our Savior, find out exactly how much. And when trials come and we rely on him, we can find out how much he loves us. Absolutely. And I loved what you said, especially about standing on your own, because that's what Peter's preparing them to do. You know, Peter's going to be martyred pretty soon, and he knows he's not going to be around for all this persecution. So, but finding your own testimony, relying on that, finding your own relationship with your Savior, which is exactly what you're talking about, I think is so important. That's beautiful. Thank you. So we had this amazing lesson um, in primary where I was serving at the time in our children's church, and I had the opportunity to listen to it because, honestly, a tragedy had happened in our ward. In our congregation, two of our children had tragically passed away, and it was right in the midst of my infertility. I had just gone through a miscarriage, and this wonderful sister who obviously had the spirit with her in preparing her lesson. She didn't want to make a big deal out of what had happened, but she wanted to address our feelings because everyone was feeling something. She referenced the movie Inside Out about emotions and how we feel different things. And she taught that it was valid to feel sad or scared or angry about the things that are going wrong in our lives. It's okay to feel those things. Heavenly Father gave us those emotions. Christ felt those emotions. Um, He's felt all of those. When things are terrible, you don't have to be happy about them. But we know that Adam fell, that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. Our Heavenly Father does not want us to have to wait until the next life to experience joy. He put us down here because he loves us. And... He wants us to be be joyful, and we can have joy now. That reminds me a lot of a talk that was not in this past conference, but the one before, where it was the immediate goodness of God. Yes. And, you know, looking for God in those different difficult circumstances that you're going through, which you know, eventually he's going to be there and he's going to hold your hand. But what do you see in the immediate circumstance? And I think, you know, that beautiful lesson that that sister gave was immediate goodness for you because it helped you get through it, you know? Yes, absolutely. And it helped multiple children. I'm positive. I just remember how strong the spirit was in that room. All right. So Peter is helping the saints get ready for this persecution. And a lot of it is going to be for them waiting to meet their savior, whether, you know, they believed that he was coming back again or whether it was going to be after this life that they were waiting to meet him. What are some ways that you have been able to wait through trials or find God and the comfort of our savior as you've waited through trials? So I found this amazing quote as I was going through through a trial that where I was waiting for years. I really like clung to it. It felt like it's by Dennis Holy. I've started to learn that waiting is an art, that waiting achieves things. Waiting can be very, very powerful. Time is a valuable thing. If you can wait two years, you can sometimes achieve something that you could not achieve today. However hard you worked, however much money you threw in the air, 
however many times you banged your head against the wall. I felt that I could accomplish things while I was waiting, um, that I could be joyful in my waiting. I became closer to my husband. We went on trips. Um, not very many because money was tight, but we I was able to develop meaningful friendships with women that otherwise I probably would have been more isolated if I had had a child at the time. When I was growing up, I did not have very many meaningful friendships with women. I had left the church and whenever I came back, there was just really, it felt like almost no one. And then I got married and then we moved away and I came back into this into this city where I didn't know anyone and I was able to have amazing friendships brought into my life. And it seemed like Heavenly Father knew exactly what to do. He put me in certain callings or put me in certain situations and experiences where I had to reach out to women that would become, I know, lifelong friends. I was able to improve my spiritual talents of teaching and loving his children in primary. And what a blessing that has been. I truly found joy in seeing Heavenly Father so in tune with what I needed to make it through my trial. After I had my son, I was so happy that I had gone through that trial, which seems kind of backwards, um, but it brought me so much more than a baby would have at that time. And sometimes we don't see the amazing things God is doing around us or through us until it is over. And that can be especially difficult to hear while you're in the midst of a trial, obviously, or when a trial is lifelong. But clarity after a trial can be life-changing. I know that I will be able to look throughout my entire life as I go through more trials and probably more difficult trials and longer trials. I hope that I will always be able to look back in this trial and say, wow, I learned a ton. I am so happy that I went through that. I'm sure that Heavenly Father is doing something now, just like he did then. Uh, President Nelson in October 2016 General Conference had a talk titled Joy and Spiritual Survival, where he talked about just how we can find joy in, in the circumstance and trials of our lives. And I just wanted to read a few things that he had to say. The whole talk is amazing, of course, but... um just some things that stuck out to me. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. When the focus of our lives is on God's plan of salvation, which President Thomas S. Monson just taught us, and Jesus Christ and his gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what is happening or not happening in our lives. Joy comes from and because of him. He is the source of joy. We feel it at Christmas time when we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, and we can feel it all year round. For Latter-day Saints, Jesus Christ is joy. And later he says, just as the Savior offers peace that passeth all understanding, he also offers an intensity, depth, and breadth of joy that defy human logic or mortal comprehension. For example, it doesn't seem possible to feel joy when your child suffers with an incurable illness or when you lose your job, or when your spouse betrays you. Yet that is precisely the joy the Savior offers. His joy is constant, assuring us that our afflictions shall be but a small moment and be consecrated to our gain. How then can we claim that joy? We can start by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In every thought, we can give thanks to him, thanks for him in our prayers, and by keeping covenants we've made with him and our Heavenly Father. As our Savior becomes more and more real to us, 
as we plead for his joy to be given to us, our joy will increase. I love that so much. I love that we can just ask for it. That's all that we have to do. We just have to ask for it. We have to be obedient. Just follow what he asks and ask for it. And what an amazing opportunity that we can unlock. And what's really cool is that when you go into the scriptures, I forget which verse it is there in First Peter, but there's one of them where the Greek actually translates into hope. The word joy translates into hope. Mm. And I think that's so perfect because that's what Christ offers us mm. is hope. You know, in the middle of all these different trials, you know, hope of an eternal family, hope of a better future, hope of a better life, hope of it being for our gain. Absolutely. You know? And that's part of joy, I think, too, is hope. Yes. Another quote that I found, um, I know that you've referenced this this quote before, but I think that it it bears merit to, to quote again, um, and then I'm going to in- include a little bit more that she said, but Linda S. Reeves in October 2015 General Conference um, in a talk titled Worthy of Our Promised Blessings says this, Sisters, I do not know why we have the many trials that we have, but it is my personal feeling that re- the re- reward is so great so eternal and everlasting, so joyful and beyond our understanding, that in that day of reward, we may feel to say to our merciful, loving Father, was that all that was required? And she goes on to say, I believe that if we could daily remember and recognize the depth of that love our Heavenly Father and our Savior have for us, we would be willing to do anything to be back in their presence again, surrounded by their love eternally. What will it matter, dear sisters, what we suffered here, if in the end, those trials are the very things which qualify us for eternal life and exaltation in the kingdom of God with our Father and Savior? Absolutely. And I'm trying to think of the other talk. I'll have to go look it up and tell you guys the reference. But there is another talk that was two years ago, I think, in conference. And it wasn't one of the main apostles. It was like a 70 that was talking. But he said, what are we willing to go through in this life to be with our father again? And he's like, what are you willing to give up in this life? What trial are you willing to walk through and through this life to be with your father again? Because maybe that's exactly what you're doing right now. I'm like, that's perfect. You know, it should, the answer should be anything. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, just with the way that, that humanity is and the way that the veil works, we don't realize, but it seems that we can never realize what is actually waiting for us. And if we did, we would be running towards it. We would, we wouldn't care. It wouldn't matter as much, but of course, as human beings, of course, our families and ourselves and our health and our, you know, the people that we love, of course, matter the most. And, and it can be really hard to look past that and see what's to come. And I think sometimes when you're down in your trials too, like it's so easy for like that to be all you see. Like everywhere you look, even though there's other stuff going on. And I think it's interesting too, like even in being in the middle of a trial and you feel God moving the pieces around, like you know that Mm -hmm. he's got something coming, but it's still really hard because it's like all you can see is where you're at, you know, and then that hope I think is really what gets me through a lot of them. What about you? What are some of the things that you have found that have gotten you through your trials over the course of the years? People, always, always people. I am definitely an extrovert. Um, I need people to surround me, but I think that that can be a trial if you're not an extrovert to, to try and, um, reach out to people. But I have always been so in this specific instance, I've been very blessed to have people almost reach out to me, which is obviously an act of God. They would never know otherwise to reach out to me, but just the exact right people at the exact right time. Also the atonement, always, always the atonement, Christ just continually going 
keeping my covenants and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And currently I'm going through something where Come Follow Me has actually helped me a lot. Um, It's helped me in my marriage. It is always, always just the foundational things that, that get me through my trials. And one of the things that I love too about Peter's writing specifically is that, you know, I think a lot of times if we go and we look at self-help books or we look at, you know, our society, it tells us all the things that we need to do to feel better. Whereas, you know, we go and read the writings of Peter and he's like, no, no, I got you. God's got you. Christ, Christ has you. Mm-hmm. Like he's got you in his hands. And, you know, we don't have to do a million different steps to feel better. He's there. All we have to do is reach for him. I think a lot of times we need to cut out things mm-hmm. almost. I think people forget that, um, that you need to allow yourself to cut other things out that are not as important and focus in on things that are that important. Yeah. I had a um, principal once who told me good is the enemy of best, you know, and so you got to find like the good stuff in your life and then the best stuff in your life. And you know, sometimes you got to chop the good to keep the best. Absolutely. Again, a big thank you to Haley for letting me interview her so you guys don't have to listen to me whine about my personal problems again. Um, I, I think, you know, Come Follow Me does a really good job talking about getting through our trials and tribulations. But I know for me specifically, the more I start focusing on my trials and tribulations, like I start getting into these negative feedback loops kind of in my head where I'm focusing so much on the hard stuff that I forget like the positive stuff. And so it was really important to me this week to really be focusing on positive, not so much on the negative, which is why I'm so grateful that Haley stepped in and was able to kind of take on that section for me. So thank you, Haley. All right, the next section, the gospel is preached to the dead so they can be judged justly. This is one of my favorite doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, It's so comforting to me because it levels the playing field among all of God's children. People who have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their entire life, they are born and they die without hearing about Jesus Christ, still have the chance to accept Him as their Lord and their personal Savior. I just love that doctrine. It makes it seem like it's so fair. And it makes it also seem like we have a God that loves us. You know, I think sometimes with all the rules and things that we're supposed to follow and all the works that we can kind of get an image of after this life judgment day, us kneeling before God and pleading with everything in our power to be let into his presence and to be let into, you know, where he is. And I actually think it's going to be the opposite way around. I think he is going to be doing everything in his power to keep us with him. Um, If you think about as a parent, you want to do everything you can to keep your child safe and happy and well. You're not going to push your child away. And our Heavenly Father is the ultimate parent. And so he's going to do everything he can to keep us close to him. And this is one of the ways, one of the systems that he has set up in the spirit world to keep his children close to him and to allow them to learn how to be close to him. Um, It's also something that's very unique to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Not a lot of other churches realize what Christ was doing in those three days between his death and his resurrection. But we know 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20 and 4, 6 kind of tells us a little bit more about it. It gives us a little bit of an insight to it. So first of all, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. 
So I'm not real sure why they make such a big deal about the day of Noah. Um, I don't know. I guess it was just like maybe a big part of their past. I mean, in their scriptures and stuff like that. If you know why Peter was so focused on Noah, reach out to me and let me know because I really ponder upon that. Okay. First Peter four, six for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. All right. And past that, if we go and look at doctrine and covenants, one thirty eight, the revelation to president Joseph F. Smith is one of the most amazing doctrines on this. All right, and about this vision just a little bit, it was given to the prophet Joseph F. Smith in Salt Lake City, Utah on October 3rd, 1918. It was part of his opening address in the 89th semi-annual general conference of the church. And on October 4th, President Smith declared that he had received several divine communications during the previous months. One of these concerning the Savior's visit to the spirits of the dead while his body was still in the tomb. President Smith had received it the previous day before the conference. It was written immediately following the close of the conference, and October 31st, Halloween, which I think is kind of ironic that we're talking about the spirits of the dead and on Halloween um, in 1918, it was submitted to the counselors in the first presidency, the Council of the Twelve and the Patriarch, and it was unanimously accepted by them as scripture. Okay, so that's what we have in Doctrine and Covenants section 138, okay? So, on Halloween, <laughs> I love that. All right, here we go. So, on the 3rd of October, this is 138, verse 1, In the year 1918, I sat in my room pondering over the scriptures and reflecting upon the great atoning sacrifice that was made by the Son of God for the redemption of the world and the great and wonderful love made manifest by the Father and the Son in the coming of the Redeemer into the world, that through his atonement and by obedience to the principles of the gospel, mankind might be saved. And that, again, it's all about love. The gospel is all about love. We have a Father who loves us, a Redeemer who loves us. And that is why He is our Redeemer, because He loves us. And they want everything that they can to do to bring us back to them. Verse 5. While I was thus engaged, my mind reverted to the writings of the Apostle Peter, which we studied this week, to the primitive saints scattered abroad through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and other parts of Asia, where the gospel had been preached after the crucifixion of the Lord. I opened the Bible and read the third and fourth chapters of the first epistle of Peter. And as I read, I was greatly impressed more than I ever had been before with the following passages. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, just that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. As I pondered over these things which are written, the eyes of my understanding were opened, and the Spirit of the Lord rested upon me, and I saw the hosts of dead, both small and great. And he continues on where he talks about how the Savior was pretty much organizing missionary efforts on the other side of the veil because he was like, well, how could the Savior go and preach to all these different spirits if, you know, he only had three days there? And instead he realizes that the Lord is actually setting up with the righteous. He was setting up missionary work there on the other side of the veil. And he lists some of the really great prophets that were part of preaching there was Adam and Noah. He also mentions our glorious mother Eve with many of her faithful daughters were there, Abel and his brother Seth. 
Seth. Like all these Old Testament prophets were there teaching these people who had learned about them their whole mortal lives, a lot of them who were Jewish, but all of them were there teaching these spirits who had passed away before Jesus Christ and had no knowledge of him, and they're able to come to the knowledge of their Savior and Redeemer, which is a beautiful, comforting piece of doctrine. So definitely go check out DNC 138. I know I read a lot of it to you, but there's even more there that is awesome. Come Follow Me asks, what blessings come to those who make the ordinances of the gospel available to their family members who have died and are still waiting for these ordinances? Well, there's all kinds of amazing blessings that come to you. One of the greatest blessings that I see is Jeffrey R. Holland has talked recently about angels and angels being with us. And I think when we do work for those on the other side of the veil, I think they are with us. I think they are cheering us on. Um, I read a book that was about rescuing wayward children as the name of the book. And it suggested that if you have a child who's gone astray or a family member who's gone astray to go do temple work, because you will literally be building up an army on the other side of the veil to help you in your efforts to bring that child back into, you know, your arms, back into their family, back into the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think that those are definitely blessings that come to us as we do missionary work through the temple and family history. Um, I also see, you know, whenever I go and I do family history work and I take that family history to the temple, my temple experience is enriched. So I definitely see that as a very great blessing as well of doing family history and doing those ordinances for those who have passed on, um, enriching that temple experience, helping me learn more and just having a better testimony, I think, of the temple as well. Um, and then I also just see the blessings of protection and of the extra measure of the spirit in my life after I do that. So there's all kinds of blessings that come to us who make the ordinances of gospel available to those who are waiting on the other side of the veil. All right, the next section in Come Follow Me, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. Through the power of Jesus Christ, I can develop my divine nature. Do you ever feel that becoming like Jesus Christ and developing his attributes is not possible? Elder Robert D. Hales offered this encouraging thought about how we can develop Christ-like attributes. The attributes of the Savior are interwoven characteristics added one to another which develop us in interactive ways. In other words, we cannot obtain one Christ-like characteristic without also obtaining and influencing others. As one characteristic becomes strong, so do many more. It says, consider reading 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11, in conjunction with Elder Hale's message. What do you learn from these two apostles that helps you in your efforts to become more Christ-like? And the thing that I love about 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11, is he talks about, you know, it's kind of like a scaffold, almost kind of like a ladder. And he starts, you know, we're giving great and precious promises. This is in verse 4. That you might be partakers of the divine nature and having escaped the corruption of the world through lust. But besides this, giving all diligence and add to your faith virtue. And then once you have virtue, add knowledge. And then once you have knowledge, temperance. And then temperance to patience and patience to godliness and godliness to brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness to charity. You know, and he kind of scaffolds these off and versus, you know, I think it's like four through eight that we've got here. Um, and Robert D. Hills kind of goes in a little bit deeper with that as well. It made me think a lot about something our Sunday school teacher said. We have this awesome new Sunday school teacher, Sierra. I don't know if she listens to this podcast, but Sierra, you're getting a shout out. Um, so she has this idea where she was talking about the attribute activity of this in Preach My Gospel. And if you remember several episodes before, Come Follow Me referenced this Christ-like attributes activity in Preach My Gospel, and I tried it. I got so overwhelmed because it was very checklisty, and I was like, oh no, run away, run away, because it is so checklisty, and I just couldn't handle it, and it made me feel really bad about myself. Well, she said to actually go in 
and look at it. And she's like, just pick out a different one. She's like, just pick one and then, you know, spend all that week working on it. I'm like, well, that's brilliant. Like, you know, then I don't get so overwhelmed about all the things like what lack I yet. Well, there's an entire list of things I lack yet, but go in and pick one and then focus your life and your week on that one thing and kind of focus on the different ones that you can need to strengthen in your own life. And I was like, well, that helps me out by instead of having 57 attributes, which are on there and knowing that I'm not perfect at all 57, knowing that I'm not perfect, maybe even at five, but instead picking out one I can work on, you could literally could have an entire year full of Christ-like attributes by picking out and working on one each week. So that's really pretty cool. Go look for the Christ-like attribute activity and preach my gospel. Um, and that will help you develop these Christ-like attributes. Also, like Robert D. Hale says, we can't develop one of those Christ-like attributes without developing others as well. It's like a tapestry. Again, you're weaving it in. And so as you do that, other threads also weave in with you as well. So It'll help, I think, develop all of us. I think that's what I'm going to do. All right, guys, and I think that is all that my voice is going to let me do this week. So with that, we're just going to go ahead and close. I know that this episode's probably shorter than you guys would like, but I think that's where we're going to end. So um, I love you guys. I hope you have an awesome week. Thanks again to Haley for her awesome interview, and I will see you guys here next week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.